Welcome to another episode of the Africana Voice podcast. Our guest today is Paul Luali, the CEO of Friends of Youth based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very, very much for having me, Maurice. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here on your podcast. So our topic today is challenges facing the youth and young adults. So Paul Luali has a lot of experience in working with the youth and young adults, and he has done it through the Friends of Youth, and he has also done it through the YMCA. He has a very rich background in working with youth, and I'll let him explain and give us a little bit of what he has done in the past so we can get to know the experience he brings to the table on this topic. Paul, what's your experience? How many years experience uh, have you worked with the youth and uh, in what capacities? Yeah, thank you again for that question and uh, for pumping me up there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Uh, it's always good, good to get a warm welcome. I have been in this not-for-profit space working with youth and especially young adults for the last 30 years uh, here in, um, in, in, in America. In different cities, in different states, I have been in the Midwest, in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. I've been in Indianapolis. I worked in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I've also had the pleasure of being here in Greater Seattle, which I consider my home, uh, my hometown right now. So it's been a 30-year journey of doing many different things related to youth and, and trying to support uh, and provide services that uh, help um, young people attain success as, as they as they deem what success is. So uh, you were the CEO for YMCA before you became a CEO for Friends of Youth. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so my YMCA journey, uh, you know, I was in the YMCA for 22 years and I just um, uh, went through the ranks um, uh, from the program ranks and to the executive ranks and, uh, you know, finished up uh, my career as a senior executive with the YMCA of Greatest Seattle and left there about five years ago and embarked on a, a different kind of journey still in the, in the, in the, in the young people's space, uh, still in the not-for-profit space, but uh, landed here at Friends of Youth uh, and where I have been since then. Excellent, excellent. So uh, you're one of those uh, Kenyans who have really done very well in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would. <laughs> I, I will say this: just coming from Kenya, I have exceeded my wildest uh, dreams as far as uh, my professional career. Uh, you know, I, I went to school when I when I was graduating from high school. My thoughts were that I would be an attorney and I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney because I wanted to represent people, especially marginalized people, people who did not have a voice. And I thought that was going to be my trajectory. And I, you know, I started my undergrad going to, you know, doing pre-law. That was what I was going to do and go to law school. And as you know, life happens and that trajectory was changed. And I am forever grateful because it has been a very rewarding, rich, fulfilling life. Just uh, the work I do and the number of people I I get to meet such as you and the things I get to advocate that are really are near and dear to my heart. So I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. You can say I've done well with that opportunity. Yeah, you have done well and uh, the path you are planning to take, you've taken it a different way. It seems as if uh, you're still serving the marginalized community, but now you're serving the youth and the young adults. So um, let's go into the discussion for today. Uh, young people are at a crossroad. A lot of people are saying that uh, 
uh, the way young adults and youth are going through life is a little bit different than the way we went through life. Some of the challenges are due to ready access to social media, the global, the, the, the world has become a global market. What, has, what are the most challenges you see when you talk to youth? So I, I would argue on the contrary, you know, everyone says, um, you know, youth are facing all these uh, challenges and, and everything, which are true, but I would argue, I would argue from both sides of my mouth and say, you know, the challenges of yesteryear and the challenges of today, there's a lot of things that, uh, that, uh, that, that mirror each other. Some of the things you hear from young people today is they're, uh, you know, struggling with a sense of belonging. And um, if you really look 20 years ago or yourself, myself, uh, I think those are things we can relate to that, you know, a sense of identity and belonging, like where do I belong and, and how do I fit into whatever different group? That's usually a big number one issue that they always bring up. The other one that they bring up is uh, that they have no voice you know, or their voice is continuously uh, relegated or subjugated. And uh, just coming from a, a Kenyan household or background, yeah, you know, you don't have any voice. You're just there yeah. to key, not to be heard. Okay? So, yeah. <laughs> so those are things that I would argue that, you know, as much as things have changed, things are also the same. I think what the, the when people have that conversation, I think what they're alluding to or referring to is is more uh, some of the, the changes that have happened in life. You talked about technology being one. It's uh, actually access to information, uh, good, bad, or ugly. It's it's readily there. Um, yeah. you know, if it was, you know, for, for our age, you know, we were the people who, if you got a magazine, a book, you know, you wanted to read it cover to cover to get information because uh, they were not readily available where most of us came from. And now you can get online and in, in 10 seconds, you can read anything you wanted to yeah. uh, across the world. So I think it's that that's the struggle. It's not just uh, there's abundance of access. Uh, the access um, is of all kinds and you yeah. have to filter through. I think that's the challenge is filtering through and having the support networks or uh, you know the foundational pieces to know how to filter i think it's even a struggle for us i don't know the, the going i think people talk about there's 60 million bits of information that we have to yeah you have to decipher through in, in in one minute or whatever that statistic is and that's a lot of information now imagine that on a young mind which is still a developing mind there's a lot of information to filter through and unfortunately uh, i think that's where the pitfalls come so just on the technology side i would say those are some of the challenges but just on the real life side you know uh, you know we're probably going to get into it here some of the work that I do relates to uh, young people struggling with things like substance use and and those kind of those kind of things. And uh, if you think about the drugs that were there 20, 30 years ago and the drugs that are there today, it's just much more hardcore and just much more readily available to especially young people. So it's just uh, I think there is there is a bit to both as far as saying yes, things change, things have changed, but a lot of things are still the same. So it's I think I would I would speak from both sides of my mouth and say yeah yes and no yeah very very good points there 
But when you're talking about the challenges facing the youth, we also have to ask ourselves, what's the best way, what's the best approach parents can have so they can continue to have the youth on their side and work collaboratively and have cohesiveness and harmony in their homes. Parenting is not an easy thing. No one is given a template or a, a blueprint of here's how you will become the best parent ever in the history of mankind. It's a journey of learning. It's a journey of love. It's a journey of, of many different things. I think for parents who are you know continuously worrying and about their young you know, children as they grow, as they move from being infants to or toddlers, infants, and going on to school age kids and, and going on to young adults, I think the thing that I'd always tell them is, one, it's a journey and it's a process. And I think providing a kid with loving, a loving, caring household and upbringing is the number one ingredient. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people knock themselves and think they should be doing more when quite frankly, they're doing a lot. I really come from that persuasion that, you know, trust yourself. And if you trust yourself, you'll end up trusting your kid to make the right choices. If you do the right things, if you're invested in love and caring and bring up your kid in that, in that environment, more than likely the odds are going to be that uh, things will work out yeah. very well for you. <laughs> so I don't think parents give themselves enough credit today. And I think there's so much stuff that we're, we're being told or things that we're being cautioned against that uh, sometimes we may take to extreme ends. Yeah, they say that your kids will thank you later. Just do your job. They'll, they might not thank you now, they'll thank you later. So Friends of Youth, let's talk a little bit more about Friends of Youth. Uh, Friends of Youth is a very, very instrumental organization and I'm glad, uh, actually, I want to say thank you for uh, serving them. So they provide a, a wide range of services to youth and young adults and uh, from behavioral health, uh, housing assistance, residential treatment services. What drew you to this field and what uh, does this work mean to you? Yeah, like I said, you know, I always wanted to represent people. I think I, I, I that was always in the DNA. Uh, maybe that came from my folks. Uh, uh, my mom was a school teacher. Uh, she takes a lot of pride in her job. She she runs a school today. She after she retired, she started a school. Uh, for orphan kids in, in, in the village, uh, so that's what she still has. I think maybe I got some of that DNA. But I think what drew me more so is understanding that not all of us, in the words of um, in the words of RFK, used to say, not not all of us have will have the chance to bend history itself. But each one of us can produce something that changes history. You just can have a small bit of that you can actually do something. And that has always carried me in the sense of asking myself, okay, what's my functional benefit? What's my what's my passion? What's my purpose? And and how am I using that? You know, I think I've always been intrigued by, yeah, so I was given all these tools by your maker or whoever you deem your maker is or your folks. And what are you doing with it? And I got the opportunity. So like I said, you know, I was at the Y and I got the opportunity to work with a lot of young people at the time. It was just a gig. It was just yeah. really a gig. But the more I got into the gig, the more I I related to the gig, and the more I found out that I was actually uh, relatively good at doing this gig. And you're enjoying I'm getting it promotions, and I can yeah. get more money. And I was like, well, I guess people like what I do. So yeah, I still always thought I was going to graduate college, and then I'll get a real job. And that was always my trajectory: I'll graduate, get a job, <laughs> yeah. and on to something yeah. else. But I never left, and the reason why I never left is because I developed a passion for work. 
So a yeah. passion for the work. But to answer your question directly, it's um, here's what I learned over time is that, um, and it still drives me till today. And that's why I choose to do these things that you said, you know, it's foster care, it's homeless work, it's it's uh, it's, it's substance use disorder stuff is, is really that, um, I wake up every day, Maurice, and I, I know this for sure. Whether I'm having a good day, bad day, or ugly day, that I can find one unit, just one, one unit of performance that is going to add meaning to someone's life. Yeah. So that motivates me. Even the days I don't want to work, I'm just tired, I'm whatever, I'm mad at something, but I'm like, you know what? Uh, go to work because you might actually, you can do something, just one little thing that actually changes the trajectory of, 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 of somebody's life uh, and add meaning to it. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, we do homeless, homeless youth work. On any yeah. given, we have like one of our shelters has 20 beds, but that mm -hmm. same shelter, uh, if you look at the data, it says, you know, there's 192 people coming to that shelter in a given year, unduplicated people. Yeah. So the question for you is like, so where, if there's 192, we have 20 beds, where are these 172 young people? Remember, we're not talking about adults, we're talking about young people who are homeless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where are they going? Where are they sleeping? You know, it's me picking up the phone call. I can have one call with a partner, uh, some other provider or whatever, and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for 10 beds. Yeah. And they say, yeah, I got them. Yeah. And now one phone call may have been two minutes, but I got 10 beds. So I can actually add meaning to somebody's life and say, hey, whenever we hit 20, there's 10 other beds we have somewhere else. Okay. So that's something Paul can do. And it yeah. doesn't take much for me to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are listening to the Africana Voice podcast. And our guest today is Paul Luali, the CEO of Friends of Youth, an organization based in Seattle, Washington. And the topic today is the challenges facing youth and young adults. So, Paul, you mentioned that you help youth and uh, young adults, uh, homeless youth, I mean, find shelter, uh, some of them are experiencing homelessness. Recently, your organization received a generous funding support to expand your services uh, for emergency overnight shelter, I believe. Why are shelters necessary in addressing homelessness? I know it, it might sound like a, an obvious question, but there are the alternatives. Nominal, fantastic question. And I'm glad you went straight to it, Maurice, like you usually do. There is this question most people have, uh, and it is one of the hottest topics, not only just here locally, I'm pretty sure where you are in California, it's a yeah. big issue. Mm -hmm. And globally, it's, it's also a big issue. But the reasons for homelessness, people ask that question, like, why are people homeless? You know, yeah. and it comes to your question about, okay, so why do you have homeless shelters? You know, why, 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 what, couldn't something else happen? Everyone has thoughts. And, and I, I think those are, there's are two, there's two questions there. There's, uh, yeah. why do we need the shelters uh, instead of, why, why is the shelter the solution? But what is the cause of homelessness? Because, yep. I mean, I, for example, California uh, dealing with a, uh, uh, one of the biggest homelessness uh, situations than any part of the United States, but with a lot of uh, budget surplus. So the money is there, but why are people still not able to be settled? So it's a puzzle. It is a puzzle. It yeah. is a very big puzzle. And I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna try and decipher this puzzle for you if I can, yeah. as somebody who lives in this every day, uh, is 
I will say this, and if uh, uh, some people will agree or disagree, but uh, I would put them into three buckets as far as reasons for homelessness, and I lean heavily towards one. Uh, the number one reason why people are homeless is structural factors, and that's where I was going to start talking about. Yeah. Uh, structural factors meaning the big things, it's poverty, it's racism, it's historical trauma, it's lack of economic uh, opportunities, lack of affordable housing, ableism. So all these isms that have their, those are structural reasons why people are homeless. People are homeless because they don't have a home, right? They don't yeah. have a shelter, they don't have a house, they don't have a dwelling, they don't have those things. And why do people not have those things? I just gave you a whole litany of, of things yeah. and reasons for that. That's just one bucket. Then there's something we call system factors, okay? So these are gaps in systems. You know, when you say state of California, you just alluded to, there's this money, but the ability to provide the services, what's going on? There's a gap, okay? Yeah. Lack of coordination, lack of engagement strategies, you know, service through formal systems versus community-based things that you could be doing. So there's just a whole lack of these gaps in the system that people are always toying with, playing with, and politicizing a lot that instead of addressing the issue. So that's a big bucket related to homelessness. And then the last one that a lot of people focus on, and it's actually the smallest one if you look at the raw data, it's individual or, or behaviors. So no, people like to focus on this person is um, uh, struggling with substance use, you know, or this person is uh, was uh, incarcerated and now they're out, or this person something the other. And people focus on that a lot. <laughs> and I would tell you that's that's like 25% of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. A, it's a very small bucket related to, but those are some of the reasons for, for, for homelessness. So the bigger question is, why, why have these shelters? The reason why you have shelters is because people have nowhere to go. And more importantly, is you need to get people sheltered. If you really want to take care of homelessness, the first thing you have to do is get people sheltered. When they're in shelter, there's so many things you can do, okay? Mm -hmm. There is so many what we call wraparound services. The first thing we do with homelessness is you get people to case management. Case management is really having the conversation with people at a certain level with experts who say, hey, what is your situation? Okay, what is your situation? And it's not like, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> you know, want to, the first question you want to ask, like, uh, what's wrong? And, you know, that's the first impulsive question that you have when so you see something wrong, you want to ask what's wrong. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> using a trauma-informed approach, we don't ask what's wrong. <laughs> We want to hear the person's story the way they want to tell it. And we ask the question, what happened? Mm -hmm. And let mm -hmm. them tell you what happened, because then you know how to, what do we need to do next? Okay, There are people who are homeless for many, many, many different reasons. And they will come to you with many different reasons that you never even imagined. I'll give you a quick story because we as diasporans can relate to this. Uh, this just happened two weeks ago. I get a call. I get a call at 6 a.m. in the morning. And it's my friend Cecilia, who I do community work with. It's a real story, just two weeks ago. Mm. Hey, Paul. Uh, Cecilia is very active in the Latinx community. And I uh, worked with her and some other folks. Hey, Paul, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what's up, Cecilia? She's like, hey, I need, I need some help. And I'm like, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I haven't even woken up. And she says, hey, there's this... Um, there is this uh, couple mm -hmm. that uh, was in a city called Bellevue, very affluent city, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, had been sleeping in the park. 
and it was like it was about 48 degrees overnight it's about 48 degrees and um we need to get them we need to get them sheltered because she mm-hmm. knows my was work and i say well cecilia you know me uh, i primarily deal with uh youth and young adults and you're talking about a couple and they have a child they have a two-year-old and an infant yeah um, and i said you know you should try sophia's way which is a family shelter like you know have you tried sophia's way so i'm throwing her some options yeah uh, it's also six o'clock in the morning, so I'm still sleeping. And uh, she's like, yeah, they have a waiting list up to the yin yang, you know? Yeah. <laughs> said, okay, have you tried this? So I'm going through the, the usual suspects list. And she, she finally tells me, you know, the reason why I called you, Paul, is because I'm hoping that you know somebody who speaks French. It seems like they're African, they don't speak English. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, so now I, I'm really awake, okay? Oh, yeah. okay, Monange, you have to help somebody from Africa, you know, these <laughs> yeah. Yeah. extra energy here. I say, uh, yeah, well, you know, I speak some French, you know, is this somebody I can speak to? And she says, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, but, um, you know, they've been, they have an infant, okay? Mm-hmm. They have an infant, they have a mm-hmm. two-year-old, and, you know, I suspect the mom is pregnant. Um, so, um, you know, you're trying to figure out, like, how did this all happen? But you yeah. don't have too much time, so I'm like, okay. Let me do this. Uh, let me call you back in 10 minutes. Let me put on my thinking hat for a little bit. So I get up and I'm thinking, who do I need to call? Um, and I think of uh, a certain African group that is out here. Africa's on the east side. And I'm like, okay, my friend Adam. So I'll call Adam. Call Adam. Adam, hey, Paul. Hey, here's a situation. We have this da-da-da-da-da. Uh, French speaking, la 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 Adam tells me, all right, on it. You know, I'm on it. Uh, we're going to get the, here's what I'm going to do. I'll call Cecilia and I'll tell her this is what we're going to do. And then I'll call you back. So I'm like, great. So she calls Cecilia and calls me back and says, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to go get them. I'll put them in my house first. And then yeah. I've already talked to a couple of people who are, you know, Francophone guys from Zaire, whatever. And we'll see what we can do. Uh, in the meantime, here's what I need you to do. Uh, try and see what you can do at Sophia's Way or one of these other places. If we don't get anything there, they'll just stay at my, my crib until we figure out something. So, you know, quickly we resolve this thing temporarily, put a bandaid on it for, for this family. Is that normal uh, for somebody to put uh, a distressed family in their in their own home? Well, you do it because you're doing because you care. <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, it's it's also you're taking you're taking some gambles. You know, you're taking mm-hmm. some gambles that you don't know these person, you don't know what's going on, you don't know their situation, but you're willing to do it because you care enough. There's always somebody. You know, people think of homelessness as. Um, this thing that happens to bad luck, or I don't know what, but really think about it. You know, you or I just after this podcast could get into a serious uh, accident and uh, would not be able to have our jobs or our ability to support ourselves. And um, we may, our families may or may not support us, you know, and it's it, it can happen to so many it, the stories you hear about people who are homeless it's not necessarily the stereotypical thing you you may yeah. watch the movies or whatever it happens to anyone at any given time for many different reasons In a Kenyan context, because uh, our listeners are mostly from Kenya, how much of uh, such difficulties are we experiencing within the Kenyan community? A lot. <laughs> I'll tell you a good story about my friend. Uh, 
mm. and I won't mention her name, uh, Kenyan, just mm. like me. Um, she's got a very good establishment. Uh, she owns, she's an entrepreneur and she has a very good establishment and she does very, very, very well. Yeah. And I go to her establishment literally every week, once a week. And I'm a good supporter of that establishment, but she's just got good food. But anyway, the thing about it is uh, she's also got a, uh, a child who um, has struggled with substance use and has been homeless for more than 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's not uncommon and the thing about for us we also have this cultural thing uh, whereas my friend is very open about it and very frank about it say I need help help me out and you know can we do this can we do that and we're always looking and we've been doing this for a few years but uh, we have a culture where we don't talk about these things in our culture I can't remember mm-hmm. yeah. talking. even when we talk about it it's more in the negative way it's always yeah. about who didn't do something it's about blame shame or fear it's usually one of those things yeah um, and so we choose not to do that and so that creates more problems for the person who's going through uh, the crisis it's just uh, how do you help somebody if, if, if we already just put up these walls of blame uh, you know fear or shame uh, it, it's hard to do anything but there are a lot of things who struggle with this and it may not be as drastic as a situation I gave you it could just be Uh, people who are struggling with mental health you know yeah, issues. Yeah. I, I know people I know Kenyans who their children unfortunately chosen to take their lives who are still young adults um, and uh, just based on the pressures of uh, expectations uh, family expectations uh, dealt with those uh, it's not uncommon for in my role to go to unfortunately when things have happened when bad things have happened and uh, you know somebody's life has passed that you're meeting with families or you're meeting with with you're providing grief counseling uh, through my work or my staff uh, so it's not uncommon so it's not something that is just about uh, what we may say these are western uh, or first world problems no yeah. uh, these are problems for everyone yeah wow fantastic uh, i've always wondered about that because i know we are a community and we also come here and it takes some time before you establish yourself So before you establish yourself and sometimes I mean things could happen and you could find yourself in this situation. Uh, what are some of the support systems you've seen in Kenyan communities that or maybe what are some of the suggestions you can put forth for the Kenyan community to or the African community to come together and support people who find themselves in these situations of the youth and the young adults who find themselves in this situation? I, I will say just one word. <laughs> it's one word that I, if we can employ well, it's a, it'll, it'll go a long way. Kinship, you know, kinship. Kinship, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you and I are kin, right? <laughs> Because yeah. we, from, we come from Kenya. And we should be even closer kin because I uh, believe you're from Nyanza, I'm from Western. <laughs> okay, so we're even closer, okay. So, Gormaya, uh, Gormaya all the way. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, me and the Ingwe crowd, okay. Yeah. But, 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 we are, but we share a kinship with, in Liverpool. So Absolutely. We, uh, we don't thank talk you for that. Yeah, we're both Liverpool guys. <laughs> but I think that's the, that's the bonds of kinship uh, in African traditional society. And I, mm. you know, those are things that are still passed on to us. Those are things that really work. Be, having the ability to, to, to be able to, to talk to your kin and say, here's what's going on. It's really about the communication. Communication really helps. It's, um, it's, it's, it could be you, it could be your child, it could be somebody you know. 
that they're struggling and you're looking for ways to help or support them. We're very generous in, in African society as far as helping the greater good, you know, sometimes even to our detriment. <laughs> It's really tapping into those bonds of kinship and saying, where do I get help? Just like you brought me onto your podcast. Besides kinship, kinship is important. I mean, we see a lot of kinship, especially when we have a funeral, where people come together and they create these uh, elaborate WhatsApp groups. And uh, I think the minimum chango nowadays is around $50. Uh, that's the median uh, chango that you get if you start a WhatsApp group for a funeral. But we, we don't see that kind of replicating itself in every other sector. Are there any resources that you can point to? Uh, let's say when somebody, because there is a lot of stigma in the Kenyan community, in the African community, when it comes to things like mental health, homelessness. I mean, if you have to get some welfare help, uh, uh, through, through welfare, there is a lot of stigmatization there and people are embarrassed from doing it. Is there a way that people can get help without being seen uh, discreetly? Oh yeah, that's the beauty about the world we live in. I think we started this conversation talking about <laughs> just technology and, you know, talking about how much access to technology we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for instance, right now, you could just, um, you, if you hear in this podcast, you know, you, if you can remember friends of youth, you can always go to our website and, and just, you know, Google friends of youth and they will be a hotline number. There's always a hotline number somewhere. Every city has that. Every local city has a hotline number that remains anonymous. There are things uh, I would just say, you know, if you're a starter, not sure, and you're trying to be very discreet or you're still struggling with, with that, Psychology Today, just Google Psychology Today and you will find a plethora. You can just do near me, you know, looking for yeah. somebody or a number to call. So you don't necessarily have to visit somebody, but you can always, there's always a hotline. There's always, there's, there's, there's so many resources. Remember this, every city, every city in America, every state, every city has a human services department. And that human services is responsible, okay, by law, okay, mm -hmm. to provide certain services, including things related to whether it's homelessness, uh, foster care, mental health, or whatever. So every city has an ability or has a, a, a hotline or a website or something. Mm -hmm. But when you go to see your doctor and every time you go to see your doctor and you'll notice this has been going on for probably the last 20 years, uh, which I really applaud, is at the end of your doctor's visit, whatever you're going for, there will be a series of questions that a lot of us tend to ignore. And they say, are you feeling stressed? Have you been feeling stressed the last two weeks, whether before when you're putting in the intake or at the end? those questions are asked okay mm -hmm. yeah and what they're really trying to do is to extend some help if you are um not willing to come forth uh, initially and say yeah, you know i'm i'm very stressed and i feel all these things um they ask you those questions uh and they can follow up with you if you respond to them correctly yeah okay I say nothing I, is wrong yeah nothing i'm okay I'm okay. Then. Why do you ask? <laughs> but there are so many opportunities in today's world to uh, to talk about your your situation and share your situation. But it, a lot depends on you, on the person, if they're willing to do that. And when they do that, you know, good things happen. When they don't, uh, it becomes a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So you are listening to the Africana Voice podcast, and our guest today is Paul Luali. 
the CEO of Friends of Youth, based in Seattle, Washington. And the topic of the day is challenges facing the youth and young adults. What is one thing anyone can do to improve the systems we have uh, to make them better, uh, to make them stronger, and to endure the impacts to those who are navigating the challenges in the behavioral health and uh, homelessness systems? What is what the one thing we can do to improve those systems? I'm going to give you two because I can't stick to one. Uh, yeah. But I say number one is, and I, I think uh, my host here, Maurice, is a, is a big proponent for that. So I'm pretty sure you'd be very happy to hear me say this. Yeah, got a vote. Yeah, you got to vote. got to vote. <laughs> you got to exercise your civic duty to vote. I don't know how many times I can say that. Okay. If you want to change something, vote. Yeah. Okay. Every leader elected in America, okay, has a platform that says, here's what they're going to do about X, Y, Z. Yeah. Including, okay, human services. Whether it's at the very local level for mayor or city council person or governor or state rep or your senator in Washington, they all have a record and all have to state what they stand for. And that's if you really want to change the system, vote for the people who are interested in these issues in behavioral health, mental health. Homelessness, it's a big issue. Everyone has an opinion and they they have a stated record of either voting or saying where they stand on that. You have to get engaged and involved is the number one thing that I would say. The number two thing uh, that I think is just equally as, as big, it's just being informed. Because once you're informed, I always believe that, you know, once you're educated, the thing that you get out of education is enlightenment, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're enlightened, you elevate your conversations. Your conversations are taken to the next level. So if you're enlightened about an issue affecting youth and young adults, uh, you take your conversation to another level. What I mean by another level is you start advocating because now you're aware. Mm-hmm. You start saying, no, this is right, this is wrong. Yeah. I will put my money here, I'll put my voice here, I will lend my services here, I'll volunteer here, there, wherever. And those things are the ones that add up. So vote and get informed. <laughs> yeah, engage, engage, get say. informed, engage, <laughs> and uh, be an advocate for your community. One last question. The youth and young adults are facing a lot of challenges uh, in their spaces. The current youth and young adults are the first generation where they've dealt with a lot of issues like uh, uh, drug abuse, uh, such as fentanyl, which are very, very potent drugs. They're also dealing with uh, mass shooting in their spaces. So uh, what are some of the trauma that are coming along with that kind of stress? And what are you, ta- what are you saying to them? And uh, how much have you experienced in the youth that you serve? Great, fantastic question. So we in the social work field um, believe that when people come to us or are looking for our services, they're coming to us because they've faced some trauma or some trauma has happened in their life. And there's there's different, you asked a question, different kinds of trauma. So there's acute trauma, what we call, uh, I'll get a little technical, but very quick here. Acute trauma is a result from a single incident. You know, one thing happened and, you know, it affected you. Uh, then there's chronic trauma, which is repeated and prolonged. 
you know, such as domestic violence or abuse, where it keeps on happening and happening and happening. Okay. And then there is the, what we call the third one is the complex trauma. It's being exposed to a wide variety of multiple traumatic events. Okay. Often in a very interpersonal way or in an yeah. invasive way. So those are the three big kind of trauma buckets. So when people say trauma, what do you do about this? So I think we talked a bit, little bit about it is you have to use a trauma-informed care approach to say, how do I deal with this? You talked about fentanyl and, 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 and some of those things. You know, young people, you know, experiment with drugs. It's very common. Even when we were young, people experimented with drugs. They were just not as, as, as hardcore as they are today. Uh, yeah. So that is one of them. But there's also a very big subset of young people who are engaging in drugs because they are trying to run away from some kind of trauma. <laughs> you know, people use drugs a lot of times because of to try to cope with something that's going on. Adults, whatever, young people, everywhere across the globe. And fentanyl is sometimes very easily accessible, but very, very, very dangerous. So that's the thing. And right now, you know, you've heard stories. Um, yeah. Uh, Percocet that's laced with fentanyl, you know, all kinds of things laced with fentanyl. And uh, there are so many cases just because of young bodies, whether it's, uh, it's uh, the physiological uh, ability of the body to cope at a very young stage where, you know, you try it once and you're, you're you know, unfortunately dead. Uh, that's that's not unusual. So things we, ex we, we deal with. Um, so there's just there's just so many things that I know this conversation can go on forever. Yeah, we, yeah. I say that, um, you know, trauma is this thing that um, fortunately where we were when we were growing up, what was trauma? I mean, trauma was blunt force trauma. That was the only thing we knew because of watching detective movies or something like that. Somebody was hit with a bow and they, whatever. That's the yeah. only trauma we knew, not realizing that no trauma <laughs> <laughs> manifests itself in so many ways. And yeah. the more we are informed and educated about that, the more we can deal with it. And for, for our generation, I know we laugh about it, uh, how much of that trauma have we carried because uh, we were just told Kaki Sabuni or, you know, yeah. uh, sweat it out, you know. <laughs> and those are things we're now dealing with in our 50s and 60s and we're like trying to figure out like, you know, how come I never dealt with this? Because we didn't know. And yeah. no one was telling us that, you know, you were just having a traumatic experience, whether it was a one time or it was something that was that was chronic. Um, but um, I am we are blessed that we happen to live here and we can share these conversations. And hopefully that there are people listening to us who will gain something from this or will do their own Absolutely. home trying to get informed. So thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Let's end on a high note. The youth, uh, the current times, there's lots of opportunity. I mean, we are just uh, dipping our toes into AI. So the youth have so much they can do, so much they can do much faster than we are. What is your hope for the youth as you work with the youth? What is the thing that you look at the youth and go like, man, these guys have so much opportunity ahead of them. Life is going to be bright if they do this and that. What is uh, that one thing that you've identified that you think every youth should know the secret 
uh, yeah. to succeed in life. So first of all, number one thing that I'd say, the youth of today are so resilient. You know, people talk about, you know, you know, a lot of negative things related to youth. And I'm like, do you have no idea how resilient these people are? They, are, they, are they know how to navigate a lot of things that, you know, when I was 12, 14, 16, I didn't know how to navigate any of those things. Okay. Yeah. And they navigate them in ways that they're not telling anyone. They're just navigating these things. They find ways. They're very intuitive. There's a lot of intelligent people out there who can do just run rings around you on so many different things. So for me, when I look at youth and young people today, I'm in awe of, of their ability, but more so their resilience. Just like we said, how much information is are they being bombarded with that is good, bad or ugly? And they can process that in nanoseconds and, and figure out what they're yeah. going to do. They're the ones who make these things happen. You know, everything we look at, social media, TikTok, blah, who invests the most time in these things and keeps on moving it up to the next level, the next level, the next level? It's just young people. No, they're, yeah. they're defining our society today. And we yes. should embrace that and support that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, we have come to the end of our podcast. Thank you. Uh, our guest today was uh, Paul Luali, the CEO of Friends of Youth. And we are very delighted to have had you. I mean, we are we are looking forward to having more sessions like this. The youth are not the future. The youth are the present. And they're the present and the future, so to speak. So thank you, Paul. And until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you. Thank you.